Well, the Christmas season, the Christmas season has officially begun. Uh, some of you have been playing Christmas music for weeks now, but now it's official. According to the historical church calendar, today is the first Sunday in Advent. And uh, Thanksgiving is now behind us. And after spending extended time with family, some of you are ready to start a diet. After spending extended time with family, some of you are ready to start therapy. But all of us are ready for the hope of Advent. I want to welcome those of you joining us from our Farmington Hills campus and joining us online from places near and far. Over the next four Sundays, we are going to look again at the story of the birth of Jesus as told in the Gospel of Luke. The Christmas story never gets old. Like the Bible itself. Have you ever read uh, a section of the Bible you thought you knew very well, but you see a line that you've never noticed before? And you wonder, did someone just put that there? How long has that been there? I've never noticed that before. Or a different aspect of the truth of that pops out to you in a different way. This is part of the living and active nature of God's Word. God's Word speaks to you right in your present circumstances. And this is supremely true of the story of Christmas. We all know the story of Christmas very well, but it seems like every year God highlights a different part of the story for me. Maybe it's a different character of Christmas with which I resonate. Maybe it's a different aspect of the good news that was proclaimed that hits me that year. It's like God takes his divine highlighter and calls out a different section of the story. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God's divine highlighter? God does that for me. God does that for you. Maybe you've heard people say that the gospel is like a diamond. It's always precious and beautiful, but from different angles, the light shines differently. Like a diamond, you can keep turning the gospel to gaze at it from different angles and never fully exhaust its beauty. It's always new, always fresh, always stunningly beautiful. This year, we're going to turn the Christmas story a little bit and look at it through the perspective of the angels, the angels of Christmas. Have you noticed how the angels are always popping up in the story of Christmas? Now, angels pop up throughout the Bible. At least 300 times the Bible mentions or refers to angels in both the Old and New Testaments. But in the Christmas story, they seem to, to pop in on every page. It's like, it's like an angel photobombs every scene of the Christmas story, and we're going to see that over the next four weeks. Now, maybe you've never paid much attention to the angels of Christmas, and that's okay. The angels are not the most important characters of Christmas. Angels are messengers. Uh, the word angel means messenger. It's the message of the angels that's important. The angels' pronouncements move the story along. And as such, the angels serve as kind of a divine narrator to the story of God entering our world in human form. So today, as we start this series on the angels of Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I'd like to begin with a brief overview about the biblical teaching on angels in general, and then we'll talk about our first Christmas angel, okay? So some Q&A about angels. First of all, what are angels? Uh, angels, in the short answer, is angels are created beings. Angels are part of God's creation, book of Colossians says this, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God created the things that are visible and tangible. God also created the things that are invisible and intangible. God created the heavenly realms. Angels, that word refers to the office of angels, but there are many different kinds of angels, many different ways the Bible refers to angels. Uh, In the Bible, angels are called sons of God, the mighty ones, the holy ones, spirits, watchers. There are a multitude of angels, countless numbers of angels, different kinds of angels. There are the cherubim who do a lot of damage when they're sent in to do the work of God. There's the seraphim, a high-ranking order of angel, uh, the closest to God. There are ranks of angels and hosts of angels and camps of angels and legions of angels. And Billy Graham's little book about angels is an excellent primer on what the Bible actually says about angels. I recommend Billy Graham's book called Angels. Just a little small book, a great overview. Contrary to popular belief, people do not become angels after they die. Angels are angels, people are people, they are different created beings. Sometimes when a a loved one dies, somebody will say or post something like, heaven just gained a new angel. And by that, I take it to mean that they're saying, angel, uh, heaven just gained another beautiful soul. That this person was to me in this lifetime a messenger from God, it's sentiment. Or uh, if we're talking about someone who's very generous or very kind, we will say, you are an angel. We're using heavenly language to affirm heavenly attributes. But technically, people stay people and angels stay angels. Um, Now, another question, what do angels look like? What do angels look like? Have you ever seen an angel? Would you know if you did? The weight of biblical evidence seems to suggest that angels are, for the most part, invisible. Uh, The writer of Hebrews refers to angels. Uh, Are not all angels ministering spirits, the writer calls them? They're spirits, not bodies. They're invisible. Now, on occasion, an angel will take on physical form. There are times when the messenger really wants to get someone's attention, and so they appear in a very dramatic, uh, impressive, even imposing form. We see this very various examples in the Bible. This is from the book of Daniel, describing an angel. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of a multitude. This is one very impressive figure. Uh, we see the same thing other places in the Bible. This is, um, this is when the angel appears at the resurrection of Jesus. The angel's appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. How impressive and imposing must this figure be to make uh, trained soldiers shake and become like dead men? One more example from the book of Revelation. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, 
He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. People are trying to give language to what they see and it's no wonder that the primary response of humans when they see an angel is fear. Right? Most angelic speeches begin with the words, do not be afraid. These are imposing figures. Now, we also see examples. Sometimes angels come in ordinary human form, almost like undercover angels, incognito angels. In Genesis 18, three men visit Abraham, and they all have a meal together. But we learn as the reader that these aren't just ordinary men. These are angels sent from God. Uh, In fact, one of the angels is called the angel of the Lord. And some scholars think when you see the angel of the Lord, that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Not an angel, but the angel of the Lord. Uh, This could have been Jesus and other angels. We don't know for sure. But it was angels in the appearance of ordinary men. Uh, This is no doubt the story that the New Testament writer had in mind when he wrote these words. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers... For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Have you ever shown hospitality to an angel and didn't know it? You wouldn't know it. I want to tell you about one of my close encounters with an angel, perhaps. We were driving back from a camping trip from the western side of the state of Michigan, and uh, Angie was in the lead car towing our camper, and I was following behind with my elderly parents in the car, and uh, Angie got into an accident, threw her right into the barrier uh, in a collision, jackknifed the camper, locked up M14, and, um, and I stopped and ran out, and of course got her and some of the kids out of the car. Everybody was okay, but Angie did hit the steering wheel, and she had blood coming from her nose, and uh, it was just chaos. And a, a woman up, uh, came forward with a blanket. She had a, a sleeping bag in her arms. And she laid it out and she brought Angie over and sat Angie down and spoke comforting words to Angie while I was dealing with the police and other uh, Good Samaritans. Uh, when the accident finally got cleared, we could not find the woman to return the blanket. And nobody could drive past us. We were blocked up the whole highway. Uh, We couldn't find her, and to this day, my kids and my wife refer to that blanket, which we still have, they refer to it as the angel blanket. Now, do I believe a heavenly being appeared on M14 that day? Uh, Not really. I think it was just a really nice woman. Most of the time, that's what I think. And other times, I wonder. The Bible says angels can appear, and you not know it. And maybe you have angel sightings of your own. This little book by Billy Graham includes lots of these kinds of stories that could be possible angels in our midst. Uh, What do angels do? That's the next question. What do angels do? Well, angels are, first of all, they're messengers and servants. We've already noted that the word angel means messenger, but angels serve and do whatever God asks them to do. This is what the psalmist says. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. The heavenly hosts serve God and do God's will, God's bidding. What else do angels do? Number two, they are worshipers. Angels love to worship. We see this throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments. This from Isaiah 
Above him were seraphim, it's a type of angel, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's Isaiah. And we see again in the Christmas story, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared, this is with the shepherds, with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And one more example from the book of Revelation. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, describing some kind of heavenly being. Day and night they never stopped saying, what did they say? Holy, 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 read it with me, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The angels love to worship and praise God. Did the angels, do angels sing? What do you think? Do the angels sing? Uh, I think so, but people have pointed out that the verses that I read and others like them don't actually say the angels sang. It says the angels said glory to God in the highest. The angels called holy, holy, holy. Now I think it's quite believable that the angels' uh, worship of God includes music and singing just like ours does. I think that probably makes a lot of sense. Are any angels tone deaf? We don't know. Do the angels worship with traditional music or with contemporary music? Uh, we do know, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> what else do angels do? Number three, angels are guardians. They are protectors. And we see examples in the Old Testament of angels interve intervening in a battle. We see in the New Testament angels showing up uh, with the Apostle Paul at a shipwreck. They play a guardian protector role. This is what the psalmist says. For he, for God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The angels guard and protect. And Jesus seems to suggest that angels have a special level of protection for children. Jesus had a small child with him when he was teaching this. And he said to a crowd gathered that day, Jesus said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Why? For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Isn't this comforting when you think about your kids and your grandkids? Don't mess with kids because their angels always see the face of God. Now, some have read these words of Jesus and have gotten the idea that everybody, each and every person from birth is assigned, is assigned a particular angel to protect and guide them, their own personal guardian angel. Now, I think that's more than what Jesus said in that line. Uh, it might be a stretch, but I really love the idea. So we don't know for sure if each person has an individual angel assigned to them, but we do know that angels as a whole have a role to protect and guard the people of God. What else do angels do? Angels are present at death. Jesus taught a parable about a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. And in his parable, this is what Jesus said, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. 
Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, is the way they referred to the final resting place of the faithful. So is it possible that when heaven-bound people die, that an angel escorts them to heaven? Billy Graham says it is. And isn't it comforting to think that perhaps no person really dies alone? The angels are at their side. And that perhaps when this life is over and we open our eyes in the next, it is possible the first thing we'll see in addition to the face of Jesus could be the face of angels. It is possible. What else about angels? Angels are curious about God's plans. Angels are not omniscient. They are not all-knowing. They know more than we do, but they do not know it all. They are not God. And Jesus seems to indicate when he talks about his own second coming that the angels didn't know the details either. This again is the words of Jesus talking about his second coming, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the, not even the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven don't know when it's going to happen. Curiously, he also says, nor the sun. Jesus says, I don't even know when it's going to happen. Only the Father. Angels don't know the details. And Peter seems to suggest the same was true on the first coming of Jesus. Peter writes in his letter that the angels were aware of the prophecies that God would send a Messiah. They were aware that God would rescue their people, but they did not know the timing or the details or the circumstances. And Peter ends this section with these curious words, even angels long to look into these things. Even angels are curious about God's work in the world. Even angels long to know God's plan for salvation for his people. Even the angels don't know. Now, uh, uh, that means that when you read the message of the angels in the Christmas story, they're getting the messages in real time. Right? They, they are, uh, you can sense the excitement of the angels themselves. This is not just news to humanity. This is news to the angels as well. They are hearing this for the first time. The angels are interested in God's plans for the human race. And in our story today, God tells an angel named Gabriel, today's the day. Today's the day the story begins. So let's talk about our first Christmas angel, Gabriel. Gabriel means mighty one of God. There are only two angels that are actually named in the Bible. One is the great archangel Michael, who seems to be always be involved when there's a battle or he's preventing a battle, and Gabriel. Gabriel's mentioned four times in the Bible, twice in the Old Testament book of Daniel, and twice here in Luke chapter 1. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel is reading some prophecies, and he can't make sense of them, and the angel Gabriel shows up and helps Daniel uh, understand the nuances of the prophecy. Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel shows up again, same thing, and helps Daniel uh, read the prophecies. 500 years later, the same angel shows up and gives a message to a priest named Zechariah. Six months after that, the same angel appears to a young virgin named Mary. Old Testament, he appears to Daniel, helps Daniel. 500 years later, he appears to a priest named Zechariah. 
Do you think Gabriel's physical appearance had changed in 500 years? How are you going to look 500 years from now? Angels do not age. They're ageless. Angels do not grow old. Humans do, however, and the scripture is very uh, careful to say that Zechariah is a very old man when the angel Gabriel brings him this message. Zechariah uh, was a temple priest. He was a descendant of Aaron, and like all descendants of Aaron, it means he's automatically a priest. And uh, and at this time in history, there are so many descendants of Aaron, there are lots of priests. And so the priests are divided into 24 units, and each unit serves the, at the temple only two weeks a year. They've got other jobs in their home villages, but they come into the temple to serve for two weeks a year. The, uh, uh, Zechariah was a remote worker, and he came in just, just for two weeks. And the two weeks, this was the sweet spot for a priest to serve in the temple was the highest honor. And there were so many priests, even in that one division, they had to draw lots to see which priest would get the responsibility to walk into the holy area and offer sacrifices and prayers for the people. And on this day, the lot fell to Zechariah. This was the most important day of his life of any priest. This is the day they get to walk into the most sacred, most holy area in all of Israel to the very dwelling of God and they walk in and they, they present prayers on behalf of people and sacrifices on behalf of the people and they take the incense and they light it in the fire and the smoke rises up from the holy place uh, symbolizing the prayers of God's people rising to God. The people wait outside in silence and when they see the smoke rise, they fall to their knees and they offer prayers of thanksgiving and petition. And then the priest gets this responsibility after the incense is burned to turn and to walk outside to the people with hands raised and pronounce a blessing over them. I mean, this is the sweet spot for a priest. And today's Zechariah's day. A lot of priests never get the, the chance to do this. They age out. The lot never falls to them, but here it's Zechariah's day, and he must have imagined what this day would be like. What would he say? How would he pray? How would he move? And he's bringing in the weight of all the entire nation in with him into the holy place to intercede on their behalf. And remember, this is the time of King Herod, a, a murderer, an evil man, and so the nation is feeling heavy, and Zechariah is personally feeling heavy, because he's got a personal burden as well. He and his wife Elizabeth have no children. And at this time and place in history, having no children is considered to be a curse, maybe even a punishment for some kind of sin. And Elizabeth longs to have a child, and she feels empty, and the word used to describe it even suggests emptiness. Elizabeth is barren. And there's shame attached to this. So Zechariah walks into the holy place with a burden of a nation and a burden of his family. And in Hebrew fashion, he raises his arms and he brings the incense down to the fire. And that is the moment the angel appears. I want us to read again the words from the Bible of the angel appearance. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, right next to Zechariah. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now there's a lot packed in that angelic pronouncement, and I don't think Zechariah heard any of it after the angel said this line, your wife will bear you a son. I think, you know, Zechariah tuned out after that. Zachary and Elizabeth are senior citizens. They are members of the AARP. They're well past childbearing years. And uh, the angel said a lot of great things in this message, right? That the, the child's going to be filled with the Spirit before they're born. And this child's going to pave the way for the Messiah and help other people identify the Messiah. I don't think Zechariah heard any of that. Uh, like if I had started a sermon with a real controversial or shocking uh, message, I know you wouldn't hear the rest of the sermon. And I wonder if the angel shouldn't have built up toward that baby news uh, in, instead, of, instead of leading with it. And so Zechariah pushes back. He doesn't believe the promise that he's just heard. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Uh, this, is, this is so much wisdom on Zechariah's part. Notice, he describes himself as old. He does not describe his wife this way. How does he describe his wife? Well along in years. This is just bonus wisdom today, everybody. Men get old, women get well along in years. It's an important distinction. How old do you think Zechariah and Elizabeth were? Because it doesn't really say. How old is old? What age is well along in years? Uh, how many of you think you might qualify for those descriptors? How many of you are sitting next to someone that looks like they qualify? We don't know how old uh, they are. Um, some scholars think they may have been in their 50s. You want to raise your hand now, some of you? Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1 play a really important role in their senior years. Uh, they might have been uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, we don't know. But they're going to have a son. Medicare is going to pay for it. And we will know him as John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for Jesus and will help people recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The angel Gabriel's next visit will be not to an old man, but to a young woman named Mary. And he will deliver a message to Mary about the role she will play in the salvation offered by God. Perhaps God is crafting this story intentionally to remind all generations that you are never too old, nor never too young to be used by God. There is no obstacle, there is no circumstance that can rule you out of this story. God seems to delight in moving in unexpected ways through unexpecting people. This is the message of the Bible. God seems to delight in moving in unexpected ways through unexpecting people. Zechariah, the old priest, 
was made mute by the angel Gabriel because he doubted the promise of God. So the angel Gabriel pushes the mute button on Zechariah, and he's unable to speak. This is the loving discipline of God. Now, Zechariah won't stay mute forever. He will gain his speech back when the baby is born, and he's going to need his voice when his kid starts dressing and eating weird. Kids. Luke is clearly trying to get us to compare and contrast Zechariah's response to God's promise and the young teenage Mary's response to God's promise. And we're going to look at Mary's story next week. Mary, the teenager, exhibits more faith than does the priest. She was more open to God's unexpected work than a priest was. So a teenager will lead this story, but every generation is involved. The elder Elizabeth will come alongside the young Mary, who is excited and terrified, and Elizabeth will help Mary clarify who she is, who she's called to be, and who this child is that she bears. And old Gabriel gets to watch it all. He knows of God's relentless love for the human race. He's confident that the prophecies and promises of old will be fulfilled. He sees the beauty in the unfolding story, but the details are given to him on a need-to-know basis. Gabriel's along for the ride. He says what God tells him to say. He does what God tells him to do. He moves the story along. He delivers unexpected messages to unexpected people. He tells them to not be afraid and reminds them that God is with them. And perhaps the angel Gabriel speaks to you today. Do not be afraid. God is with you. God wants to use you. And God invites you into his grand story. Let's pray. Oh God, may your gospel be for us a multifaceted diamond of inexhaustible beauty. Speak to us through the angels of Christmas. Call all generations once more into your story. Speak past our excuses, past our limited expectations, and work miracles in and through us. Come, O oh come, Emmanuel, this Advent season. We pray this in the strong name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the church agreed and said, amen. Amen.